With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. La sentirai in Albania, che assomiglia a casa mia, riparte dal Belgio, arriva in Croazia, Slovacchia, Polonia e Romania. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Forza Napoli Worldwide series. This is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world. So I wanted to give our fans a platform where they can speak their minds, and this way you can hear some opinions and viewpoints that are different than just my own. So we're heading back to the UK for today's episode. The last time we were in the UK, we were in South England in London with our friend Prince Salad. Today we're going to head to the north of England. We're going to visit Newcastle. And today's guest is one of the biggest football fans that I've come across on social media. Antonio Mango, welcome to Fortunopoly. Hello, guys. And first of all, I just want to say thank you very much for the invite and having me on this beautiful podcast. And I can't wait to get started. Always my pleasure to have guests on. I'm really enjoying this series. I I especially love hearing our our fans' stories on how they became Napoli fans. So we are going to get to that. Of course, today we're going to talk about the match against Sassuolo, which was played on Wednesday. We're recording this on Thursday. It was a wild game, so we've got a lot to cover there. And I mentioned that you're one of the biggest football fans that I've come across on social media. Um, So we're going to have a little bit of fun with that at the end. Um, But like I said, my favorite part of this series is getting to know a little bit about our fans. So why don't you tell the listeners, Antonio, how is it that you became a Napoli fan? Yeah, of course. To be honest, Joe, this this is quite a tough one for me. Not that I'm looking for any sympathy or anything, but my dad's Italian, born and bred, Naples, speaks Italian, he barely speaks any English. And so I grew up watching, you know, Rayuno, I do it. Just like we heard of Prince Salad mentioning his podcast, he did. I grew up on Syria, the Calcio, and from when I was younger, 
the only top my dad would let us wear was a Napoli jersey. So I grew up on them. And obviously I watched the Channel 4 um, Serie A highlights every Sunday religiously. And there was my favourite part of the week. But going back to when I first became a fan. Now this way, not a lot of people know this about me. I mean, some of me f- close friends don't even know this, but ah, uh, this is tough. From from the day I was born, my dad re- didn't really want anything to do with us, um, even though we lived in the same house. So there was, I was, I remember it was 1998. I was in Italy, and and I was eight years old, and I was sitting. At dinner with my dad and all his friends. My dad and his friends were going to the game the next day. And I believe, if I remember right, we were playing Vicenza. I think, yeah. And um, I was begging him to go. Begging him to take us. And he was a bit... He wasn't going to at first. And then his friends persuaded him to. And... When I first stepped in the in the stadium, honestly, I just felt at home. And honestly, I felt like I was in a bubble and nothing around us mattered. And I think we won the game. Well, we did win the game and I think the scoreline was 2-0. And when we scored and the stadium erupted, I've never seen atmosphere like it. And it was the first game I'd ever been to. And since that day, I was hooked on Napoli. Just every day, just constantly trying to read up on them, watching all the games. And I kind of felt that's how I got my closure with my dad, supporting the same club. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I know it's a bit... I could have lied to you and said, oh, it was beautiful me and my dad grew up together supporting them but it just wasn't like that and I wanted to hear the truth so um, I do I am sorry if I, <laughs> if I started off the podcast a little bit emotionally but yeah that's how I really got in in Abilene and uh, I feel at home supporting the club well that's I, first of all I appreciate your honesty that's that I'm sure that wasn't an easy story to tell um, definitely unique. But one thing I've come to realize speaking to, to Napoli fans around the world is there's there's something about that city, something about that stadium, and something about that fan base that unites us all. And and as we've seen even in our, our social media community, we are like one big family, right? And that, I think that's a beautiful story, to be honest. I, I'm really glad that, that you shared that with us. Um, and, and the other thing is it, it kind of, I mean, we're going to talk about a match that didn't end well, and it kind of puts everything into perspective a little bit. At the end of the day, you know, we, we live, breathe, and die this club, but it's not, not everything. Um, and it makes it, I think, for me, easier to accept a loss. Well, it wasn't even a loss. It was a draw that felt like a loss. But hearing a story like that really puts things into perspective. So thank you for sharing that, Antonio. Sorry, I just want to agree with you about the city. Mm-hmm. I mean, if not, if there's Napoli fans out there that have not been enabled 
honestly, please go because it's the friendliest atmosphere you'll ever witness. And in the really embrace like outsiders coming into the city. And uh, if you can really live in that culture, even just for one week, it's definitely worth it. So I would recommend it. Absolutely. I, I need to get myself over there as soon as possible. I, I haven't been to Italy since I was too young to really appreciate it. Um, but I, I've, I've definitely heard that sentiment from a lot of people. And you see it with the players as well, right? Like going back to Maradona and, and various others um, and, and right up to Victor Osman in the current day where it, it doesn't matter where you're from, um, you're welcomed. And, and what, what I find interesting is almost every player says something to the effect of, it reminds me of my, my hometown, whether it's Lagos or, you know, whether it's Mexico for Lozano, there's something about that city that, that is just infectious. So yeah, I, I, I echo that sentiment. We have this dream that hopefully we can realize one day of this this Napoli Twitter community having a massive get together at the Maradona, formerly the San Paolo. So hopefully we can make that happen after we get out of all of this COVID nonsense. Um, so let's let's move on to talk about the match. Um, this was an emotional match. There were lots of ups and downs. Um, There's so much to unpack. So I, I think the easiest way to do that is if we just tackle it in, in chronological order and we'll work our way through it. I'll, I'll get your thoughts. I'll give you some of my thoughts. Um, so let's start with the Insignia goal that was overturned by the VAR. Uh, what did you think? Was he onside there? At first, I thought he was onside. And then looking across social media, I seen pictures and if I'm brutally honest he's just offside and i mean by half a foot but if we're talking black and white you've got to give that as offside normally i mean the referee didn't notice it at first the line it was so close the linesman didn't notice it it was VAR that so really if if this happened before VAR came in then it would have stood as a goal and probably nobody would have complained about it. But the fact that his foot is a fraction offside, we've seen it in the APL as well. Those are given as offside and we've just got to take it. Because if it was the other way around, we would want that given as offside because his foot is offside. I mean, my my concern, though, is did you not think, I think it was Mert Muldur who was the last man back for Sassuolo. It looks in that in that still frame that perhaps his elbow is is just playing him on and, and maybe they've marked the line incorrectly. But that's the thing. Anything you can't play the ball with, any part of the body you can't play the ball with, so your arm is not considered. Ah. So... If if you look at it from maybe your shoulder, because you can hit the ball with your yeah. shoulder onwards, if his shoulder had been playing him on site, that's different. But considering it was his elbow and it was away from his body and his shoulder was on site, that do you, do you get what I mean? Yeah, no, I 100%. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that will 
maybe not satisfy a lot of people, but help a lot of people understand why the line was drawn where it was because an elbow is not something you can play the ball with. So that's a, that's a great shout there. The other issue that I haven't, and I should clarify on some of the tweets I made, because I kept on going off saying um, how there needs to be clear and obvious evidence to overturn a decision. Yeah. Um, and a good friend of mine corrected me on that last night that that actually only applies to penalty kicks and red cards. And the main reason for that is because linesmen are instructed nowadays to not put the flag up if they're not sure. You're essentially giving every goal until you review. So with offsides, it's more of a, a review to decide just what is the correct decision. So, you know, I guess you're right. I, I think part of it, what frustrates me as well, is that I don't think the technology is good. Um, I think we're heading in the right direction, but I don't think we have a high enough quality technology right now to make such tight decisions. The big one that I've read about is that determining the exact moment that the pass was made. I think the way the rule is written is it's on the first contact of the foot with the ball, not say when the ball first comes off of the foot. Um, but it's we don't it's like we don't have enough frames that we can freeze this accurately to make these decisions that are right or wrong by the centimeter. Um, and then we had a, you know, a similar VAR review, and I, I posted this on Twitter as well, the comparison of uh, the Juve goal that was allowed. So a offside was overturned to give the goal to Juve on a, a pretty close call as well. And and I wasn't necessarily making this a, a Juve-Napoli thing um, because we've had, as you said, in, in other leagues and, and in Serie A as well, a number of these decisions that have been down to, you know, a couple of centimeters. But I, I just feel like, on, on decisions that are that close, those goals should just be given. But I could be wrong. What do you think? No, I agree because we all know that one of the best feelings ever is when you score a goal. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, when you score a goal, you kind of sit back and are taken away in case it gets <laughs> out for, for Vol. So you're not celebrating a goal as much as you would usually. So mm -hmm. I would like to see those given is on side. And I would like to see VAR come in at maybe like the center spine of your body. If that's offside, then you're offside. Maybe if we narrow it down to something like a pinpoint of the body, maybe mm -hmm. it's center, center spine, then that works better for everybody. Yeah. I don't know what you think on that. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that, or or even just a general approach where if it's just too close to tell, you just give the goal because it's better for the game. You get more goals, and yeah. and if it's if it's obvious, again, getting not to get back to this term of clear and obvious, but you know if it is obvious, then you take it away. But it is what it is. Um, I don't think, and we were talking about this previously. This is one of those games where you probably you can find any number of reasons why the result was what it was and we'll get to all the other ones so let's like you said i think we have to accept that the goal was not given and, and move on so let's move on uh the next sort of key play in the match was the the maximovic own goal uh this happened after uh, domenico berardi won a free kick on the right side of the box he played an in-swinging uh left-footed cross into the area and Maximovic tries to head the ball out. 
it was his best header of the game. Unfortunately, it was into our top corner. He didn't exactly have the best of games. How did you feel about that goal and, and Maksimovic's performance overall? Yeah, I mean, the goal, he, he, to be honest, he finished it like an absolute striker, didn't he? It was a great, it was a great header, but it's tough to take because I would rather. It's just so unfortunate because if Merritt shouts, then Maxi doesn't doesn't go for that. If that makes sense. So if Merritt if Merritt is loud and clearer that he's going to get the ball because he was next in line to punch punch the ball away. There was no defender in between them. So there's no need for Maxi to go for that. Yep. So there's got to be better communication between the goalkeeper and the centre-half. But you get that fluidity and unity through playing together more. Now, I know a lot of people want to see Maxi, including myself, left out tonight for Manolas. But I just feel... Oh, it's just so unlucky. Like, how can you, how can you put it in words not to do it? Do you know what I mean? There's got to be a high level, a better level of football IQ with that. Yeah, well, I agree with your point on Meret, and I've noticed this about Meret as well. As good as he is at at shot stopping, he is a fairly quiet goalkeeper. There was another play where Maximovic did head a ball out for a corner kick, and it was another one that looked like. It would have just comfortably landed in Medet's arms, but he didn't claim it. He didn't call for it. Um, and as a defender, you're trained to, to play that ball. You you don't take a chance and leave it. It's unfortunate that he just didn't hit the ball full. Um, yeah. But you look at Donnarumma, you look at Buffon. Whenever I ask my Juventini colleagues after a Buffon match how they thought, the one thing they always say is they just feel more assured with Buffon controlling that back line because of that communication that you talked about. I think it's unfortunate for Maximovic. He's obviously having a pretty tough year. Um, and one thing that not to, to shit on our best defender, uh, because we all know how good Koulibaly is, but that's why that stupid yellow card that he picked up on the weekend was so critical. Right, because we knew we knew Manolas was not going to be ready, or if he was, he wouldn't have been a hundred percent. And we'll get to we'll get to Gattuso's decision to eventually bring him on, anyways. But we haven't exactly been great with the Maximovic Rachmani partnership. Rachmani has shone, and I think Gattuso now has a better appreciation for what he can offer. But the combination of them together, I think, has really only had one good match. I think this was their seventh start together, Maximovic and Rachmani. And the only one that I can think of that was a solid performance from the both of them together was against Juventus and said, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate to see. I think, yeah, maybe we're being a little harsh on Maximovic. He definitely deserves his share uh, of the blame. Yeah, I feel like those two don't really complement each other. And you're right what you say about Merritt. He needs to learn to be more vocal and commanding, especially in that in that 18-yard box. I think you will get there within time, and it'll just make him even step up another level. But I do agree with Maxi. And one, one thing I would mention on Maxi is, you know for yourself, when things go wrong, everything seems to go wrong. 
when people are on your back constantly, everything you do just seems to go wrong. And it just seems like it's it's his part in the season where everything's just going badly for him. So I do feel for him in a way. I do think he's got other qualities that can come through, but he just needs a bit of confidence in getting there, I think. You know, I, I don't know if this club has a sports psychologist employed by the club, but if they don't, they need to get one because uh, this this season has, has tested the mentality of our players more than anyone. And, and that's a great point as well that, yeah, sometimes when things things are not going your way, everything seems to go wrong. And and the opposite is true as well. When things are going your way, everything seems to go right. And a player we can probably safely put in that category is Piotr Zelinski, who yeah. leveled the score only a couple minutes after that own goal. So, I mean, this this roller coaster of emotions, we went up thinking we had a, a lead on the Insignia goal. We crashed back down when VAR overturned it. And, and further down when we scored an own goal. And then Zielinski picks us back up again. He's been scoring some some great goals lately. What do you think? I couldn't agree more. I think Zielinski and Insigne have been our best players this season. Zielinski's equaled his record goal scoring um, in the Serie A campaign with six goals. And there's still games to go, and I think he will beat that. So I think it will become his highest goal-scoring season. But not only that, he's so crucial to the way we play. And it just seems like he's doing everything at the moment. He's getting back, he's defending, he's working hard, he's he's pressuring players, his distribution of the ball is beautiful at the moment. And you're right in what you say when things are going your way. Everything goes your way. It's like a striker. When when he's on form, everything he seems to touch turns into a goal. So it just goes to show in football that there will be parts in the season where things aren't going your way, but it's how you overcome them that make you a good team. And I do agree with the psychology factor as well because, boy, if, if there's ever a confidence team that's us. We're either absolutely terrible or absolutely brilliant, and there's no in between. Or we would just not sulk, but we just think it's game over. And if things are going our way, we're, we're beautiful to watch. There's no in between, and we need to find that. I think that's spot on. And had it not been for Insigne being called offside on the weekend, this would have been four goals in his last four, and they would have all been beautiful goals. Um, he's still three in his last four is, is still very, very good. You talk about how we play when things are going our way. The build-up to this goal was was really quite nice. We had you know some some quick passes between Di Lorenzo, Fabian, Politano, and Deme all on on that right side in the build-up to the shot. And then that left foot that Zielinski has, I mean, I don't think there are too many players in the league that that can hit the ball with the quality that he does with both feet. Unfortunately, he he did pull up with a bit of an injury late in the match, and he was taken off. So I think from what I've read as of today, which again is Thursday, he seems questionable for the match on the weekend against Bologna. So 
hopefully we'll have uh, Zelensky in the squad. If not, I, I think what we might see is if Osman is back, which he's supposed to be back, then Mertens can drop into the 10 spot and, and Osman can play at striker. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, let's move on. The next goal was the penalty for Sassuolo that was uh, earned right before the end of the first half. This was a foul by LCT Sai on uh, Chicho Caputo. Curious to know if you thought this was a foul. I do think it was a foul, but a, a needless one because he didn't need to make the challenge. I mean, if you go back to your, I don't know if you played football yourself, but anyone, even amateur level, if you played football and you're marking a striker that's facing away from goal. If Caputo controls that ball, he's facing his own goal, and it's nigh on impossible to score from there. So what you've got to do is just stand up, make him play the ball back towards his goal. But instead, he dives in and makes an unnecessary challenge, which costs us um, going 2-1 going down in a half time. And he just really didn't need to dive in. Yeah, I, I did play and, and I was a defender, so I know that well. I mean, you you have to be extra careful in the area and, and especially at the way the game is called nowadays. To your point, with his back to goal, you just want to jockey him there. You don't want to be too overzealous. I think part of that might have been because everyone had to shift over. I think it was Rogerio, I want to say, that made the run on the wing. Uh, he played the pass out wide and then he continued his run and we got caught a little bit. Di Lorenzo had committed on the tackle on Rogerio, so that meant everybody had to shift over. Maximovic shifted over to the wing, and Husai had to come over to Mark Caputo. And to your point, he, he probably didn't need to foul. It looked like Caputo was actually going to dummy the ball and let it roll on, so who knows what would have happened if he didn't. As much as I want to say this was a soft penalty call, it is something that has been called consistently in Serie A this season. Um, we went from last season where we had all these handball calls that seemed crazy and trying to figure out what's the definition of a handball. Now we've gone into a point where it seems like any contact in the area constitutes a foul, even though this is a contact sport. But we know that is how the game is called. And, you know, there were comments made after the match about the official being inexperienced. And maybe that factors into it. I For this, as tough as this game was, maybe you would want a more experienced official, but I don't think he did too poorly. I think it, it was more on, on the players than on the officiating. Um, but that definitely also set a precedent for what constitutes a, a penalty within the match. Um, and obviously we saw, we saw a number of those. You know, I tweeted this during the match. I personally thought that the foul on DeFrell earlier in the match when he was running between Di Lorenzo and I think it was Maximovic looked like more contact to me than than this foul on Caputo. Um, I don't know if if you agreed with that or if if you think differently. No, I definitely agree. As soon as that DeFrel foul happened, I kind of thought to myself, that's a penalty. Because at first, I really did think the referee was going to give it. And I do agree with you. The foul on Caputo was really, really soft. But the fact that Caputo went down makes it look more of a penalty. And at first glance, the referee gives it. But would he have given it if he reviewed the TV monitor on the side of the pitch? Don't know. I think he could possibly change his mind. And why he didn't review it, I'm not too sure. 
you know, maybe he still would have given it because like I said, it seems like the criterion nowadays is any contact. But then that begs the question of why Matteo Politano wasn't also awarded a penalty, which admittedly he, he probably embellished it and he, he went to ground like he had been shot. Um, but there was, <laughs> there was contact there too, uh, more higher up than, than down below. So I, I think that's the frustrating thing as fans to watch. And you know, when you have a, a match that's got three penalties given um, and a couple that perhaps could have been given, that makes it a tough pill to swallow. And you can almost cancel things out a little bit where you can say the penalty awarded for the foul on uh, Caputo is pretty similar to the foul that was called on Di Lorenzo uh, for our penalty. So those cancel each other out. The foul that wasn't called on Defrel is like the foul that wasn't called on Politano. So those cancel each other out. Um, but then unfortunately we have the, the last minute penalty and, and we'll get to that in a second before we do though let's let's talk about the the napoli equalizer to make the score 2-2 scored by giovanni di lorenzo what did you think about this play i'll, I'll tell you what i thought lorenzo insignia had a fantastic match i don't know why di lorenzo was so far forward but i'm glad he was and you know insignia makes a, a nice move on the left side cuts the ball back and di lorenzo's there to put it in and i was happy to see him get his goal because he he wanted the goal uh, on the weekend against benevento and it was ultimately given to Politano, so he got his goal. Uh, what did you think about that goal? I thought it was a great goal. Great passage of play in the build-up of the goal, like you said. And yeah, I agree with uh, Di Lorenzo why he's up so high up in the in the match in, at, at that time of the game. But we'll often say that with Di Lorenzo. We'll, we'll get the odd one game out of ten where he just pops out of nowhere and appears with a goal. Um, so yeah, credit him for that. He showed desire to get to the ball, to get into the box, and he was just in the right place at the right time. And it was great play by Insigne, who I do think was man of the match. I thought he was incredible. One thing I do want to say on Insigne while I've got him on mind is that I want to put this the right way. We just need to respect him a little bit more. If you ask any football fan across the world, of any club, what kind of thing do you want to see in your club? And they'll always say some one of our own that was born in the city, coming out of the academy and being a one club man with us and captain in the side. We've got exactly that. And then Lorenzo and Sydney. And we should appreciate that because if we don't start appreciating it now, we'll regret it when it's gone um, and we won't know what we'll, it'll be a case of you won't know what it what you've got until it's gone so yeah please Napoli Twitter I love you all but sl- stop the insinuate hate and let's give them some encouragement and credit absolutely I, I second that 100% I think you know in my one criticism of Insigne is of all players on this team he seems to be the one that struggles the most uh, mentally when when something doesn't go his way you know he missed the penalty against Juve and of course that's going to hurt him more than anyone like you said being Napolitan and what that means and missing a penalty against Juve what that means and he didn't score for a while in fact he didn't score until we played Juventus again um, and it was from the penalty spot again but I agree wholeheartedly this this guy is our guy we I didn't quite get the criticisms of him after the match when he was visibly upset that we didn't get the win. 
I don't know if he was criticizing the, his teammates or the officiating or whatever it was, but we've talked a lot about how we don't see the the passion and the hunger and the grinta from from these players. And then when we finally see something like that, there were some people that complained about it, which made zero sense to me. I think I think yeah. he, phenomenal. And even though that goal wasn't given, I think that still probably helped his confidence to know that that his shot was on, his touch was on. I mean, on that, going back to that first goal that was disallowed, the touch he made to receive the pass from Hisai before shooting, if I'm not mistaken, he only took two touches on that play. He took one touch to control the ball beautifully and, and set up the shot, which he put perfectly into the side netting. So I think that still gave him a bit of a, a confidence boost. And, and when he's feeling good, you can just see how well he plays. How do you feel about the partnership with Gulam? Because I, I felt like in the last couple of matches, I know Gulam didn't start in this game, but he, he did come on later on. And I don't know if it's just because they have the chemistry of playing together from when Gulam was, you know, before his knee injury. But there just seems to be a bit better of a chemistry between them than, say, Insigne and Hisai, or maybe even Insigne and Mario Rui, though I think they have pretty good chemistry as well. Yeah, I agree. I think Gulam. They seem to be on the same level, the same page when it comes to playing. So I kind of feel like he should have started, especially with his game in the previous game, because he played really well. So I do feel like he should have started. And I agree with you with about Insigne. He's such a confidence player. But what I like about him the most is even when it's not going his way, he tries his hardest. He's passionate. He's always so direct, and we need that. We need players that are so direct, just running it, their defenders. It might not always come off for him, but it's just great to see. He does not stop running. And and you can see there are times where he probably wants to come off, but if he doesn't, he just keeps going and going. So Insigne and Di Lorenzo, they linked up again on the third goal. So now this emotional roller coaster is heading back up again. Um, I think we were probably feeling pretty fortunate at that point because Sassuolo hit the frame of the goal twice in three minutes, I think it was. First, Berardi with just an outrageous strike comes off the bar. Then Caputo with his right foot off the the upright. You know, that in itself was a little bit of an emotional twist, um, feeling like we got away with one. Because I know for me, when, when those shots hit the frame, I felt like that kind of canceled out any poor fortune we had with the VAR decision or the penalty decision because we just now got lucky with with two shots that easily could have changed the way this match went. Then back to Insigne and Di Lorenzo, they link up on, again, another really nice team play to in the build-up. Uh, lots of passes, lots of movement. Ultimately, Insigne switches the ball to Di Lorenzo. He cuts back in the area and he's fouled. We get a penalty. And Insigne gets his goal, well-deserved. Um, what did you think just of that play in general? And, and also on Di Lorenzo's play, because I thought he was pro- this was probably one of his best matches of the season. Yeah, I agree with you. Di Lorenzo was brilliant. The penalty was a lot of pressure on Insigne, especially as we know, I, I hate mentioning it, but what, with what happened with uh, the Juventus game, there was a lot of pressure on this penalty with it being the 89th minute, looking like it was going to be the winner. And he was so composed. And that was great to see. It shows that he's got a level head. He doesn't crumble under pressure. So, yeah, it was great for Lorenzo. 
and it will be great for his confidence going forward as well. Yeah, and the, I don't know if you noticed, but he, I think he's gone away now from this um, Jorginho-style hesitation take. He he just took it, like you said, confidently, hit it hard and, and picked his corner. Um, so that's good to see that, you know, he tried something, didn't work, went back to his old way, and, and he's, he's back on track. And another player that, again, deserved the goal, deserves to be up there in goals uh, amongst Lozano uh, in terms of goal scored for this team. Uh, so we finally, we get to stoppage time. We've made some interesting substitutions. One of them is to replace Maximovic with Manolas. We have the ball with a minute left. There were supposed to be three minutes of stoppage time. We enter into the fourth minute. We're still playing. Bakayoko fails to clear the ball out. He tries some sort of back heel, or I'm, I'm not sure if if the ball just got caught up in his feet and it maybe it looked like he was trying something fancy. But in any event, he, he concedes possession. Sassuolo counter. Manolas fouls. Trying to remember which player it was, uh, but he commits the foul, and Sassuolo will get the penalty. They they score the equalizer in in stoppage time. Um, there's so many things that happened on this play. I think it was Haraslin uh, because he was the same player that fouled Di Lorenzo on the penalty that we won, then wins the penalty yeah. for Sassuolo to, to equalize. So a lot happened on this play. Uh, what were your thoughts just on the whole thing? It was. We had so, so many opportunities to avoid this whole situation. I mean, if you think about it, it's a 93rd minute. We've got a throw in on the halfway line and we'll concede a goal. Now, Di Lorenzo shouldn't really be throwing it to Bakayoko when he's literally got three players a foot away from him. He should just be putting that down the line because nine times out of ten, you earn another throw in or something like that, and the referee ends up ending the game. But he did choose to throw it to Bakayoko. Bakayoko should never be trying that back heel, because I just feel it's tight in that area. All you want to do, especially at that moment of the game, is turning their defenders, putting the ball beyond their back four, and make their defenders run towards their own goal. So Bakayoko really should just be hitting the corner flag with that ball. Because as soon as he does that, the referee blows a whistle and it's game over. But we give them an opportunity to get back in the game. And you've got to give credit to Sassuolo because they took that opportunity. They were direct. They got it with. And they had nothing to lose in that moment. And then it was just... I mean, Manolas, is, is, I believe, is a good defender. He just had a, a moment. And maybe it's tough when you come on to a game and especially playing centre-back. It's hard to really get into the game. So maybe it was just a lack of concentration, but he definitely needs to show more of a football IQ because if he does not need to dive in at all, all he needs to do is jog him, stand his ground, even allow the attacker to kick it off him and let it go out for a corner and then get organised. You just don't dive in that late in the game in your own 18-yard box. It's just criminal. And it gives the referee the opportunity to give the penalty. Yeah, this is something that we talked to Daniel Russo about on our last episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide, where he's vehemently opposed to changing a center back, you know, in the final 10 minutes of the match. We did that in the, I believe it was the Atalanta match, 
where we we brought Koulibaly and Gulaman in the final 10 minutes and we ended up conceding a goal on the corner kick. We do it again here, replacing a center back in the last 10 minutes. Fine. At least this time it wasn't on a corner kick. And I agree on on the decision-making from Mano last there. Like you said, just jockey him. Hopefully he doesn't play a decent ball into the area. And then I agree with everything else you said as well, that you know, if you just knock that ball downfield, in all likelihood, that's going to end the match. I know there were some questions about the clock. I, my best guess as to why the play continued, because the throw-in was taken at the end of the 93rd minute, and there was supposed to be three minutes of stoppage time. My best guess as to why there was an extra minute was because our goal was scored to go ahead right at the end of normal time. And if you look... Sassuolo didn't actually kick off until about 40 seconds after the 90th minute. So perhaps that was tacked on to the end, and that's why play continued for a little bit longer. But I agree. There's an under no circumstance should should we be allowing the opponent to, to get that close to our goal. I don't know if Di Lorenzo should even be taking that throw in and, and risking getting caught too far upfield. There's so many little plays that you can look at. Even if you go a couple of minutes back, we had Rachmani attempt a header on a ball that was nowhere near his head, um, and it goes out for a throw-in. We we had some passes where Gulam has a chance to clear the ball, and he kicks it straight out to touch. So, the, I mean, it's like I said, it's one of those things where it's, when it comes to such a fine margin, you can pick so many little plays that would have changed the result obviously incredibly frustrating and i don't blame again going back to insignia i don't blame him for being so upset because something like that should never ever happen that rock money header just sums up that game for napoli it just sums it up in an absolute nutshell because it's just a moment where you just think what is happening do you know what i mean like everything mm-hmm. just wrong and if if one of those players di lorenzo bakiogo or Manolas make a better decision, even we take all three points. But it's leaving us just thinking, are we actually going to get Champions League football? Because that's crucial for us. And one thing I want I want to add to that, I mean, these aren't inexperienced players. You look at Manolas, he's 29. But Yoko's 27. So these aren't players that have got no experience. These are very experienced players that should know better than that. Absolutely. It's hard to explain, and you're right, because the way the round went, we dropped not necessarily our position in the table, but we we fell further behind. Juve won on Tuesday. Lazio got a win on the table on Tuesday. I suspect that match will be replayed just like ours against Juventus's. Roma got a late winner, I think in the 88th minute. Atalanta absolutely destroyed Crotone, which was to be expected. And Milan dropped points. They're a bit further out of reach, but they still managed to get a last-second draw on just another ridiculous handball in that match. So not a good round for us. A win was pretty important. We're now five points back of that fourth Champions League spot. And it seems like our entire season now is going to come down to this stretch of games that we have. Every game is important, so we need to beat Bologna first and not get ahead of ourselves. But that that week where we play Milan, Juve, and Roma all in the same week, that week is is basically going to be our season. Yeah, 100%. And it just sums up our night when the winner scored by Roma was an ex-Napoli player. It just sums up our night and our season <laughs> so far. So, I mean... 
every game from now on is going to be a tough game. We've seen it all season. We're capable of beating the best. So you go into games just not knowing what to expect. So it's going to be another roller coaster, guys. So be prepared for it. Absolutely. So let's let's move on from the game. I mean, we can we can talk it on and on about how depressing that end was. Uh, I know a lot of stuff has been broken in a lot of Napoli fans' houses, um, including ours. So let's talk about something a bit more fun because I mentioned at the top that you are one of the biggest football fans that I've come across on social media. You're you're always I love following your account because I I almost watch Serie A exclusively. I don't get to watch too much other. Too many other games from other leagues. I know you do. You're you're an avid football fan, and and you have a keen eye for young talent as well. So I gave you a bit of a homework assignment, and what I asked you to do was to identify a couple of positions of weakness that we have on this club. And I think most Napoli fans will probably agree on what those positions are. And then I asked for you to recommend some young players, um, and I specifically wanted young players to to keep this somewhat realistic. So that we're not talking about signing 50, 60, 100 million euro players at every position, which is, we all know is not going to happen. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Let's start with the, the positions that you picked that you think we need to upgrade. Yeah, so I really enjoyed doing this little piece for you guys. But yeah, I tend to watch every single league if I can. So the players that have picked age between 18 and 20 year old so these are very young players but these are players that are performing at a, at a very high level at very good clubs um as well so the first position i looked at was the left back position now we all know we're desperate for a left back especially with gulam I think he's 30 years old and Rui is 29 so these are players that are not getting any younger. So I picked out a few players we could consider because these are realistic targets. Players that we could pick up for very small margins that are equally as good and could come into our team straight away. So there's Jordan, and, and sorry if I don't pronounce these correctly, Lotomba. Now, he plays in the French Liga and he's playing for Nice at the moment. He's 20 years old and you've just got to watch him to really appreciate him. This is a, his acceleration's great. His positioning's great. He likes to get up and down. And what I like about him the most is his technique on the ball. His crossing just seems to be absolutely perfect every time. And all these players that I've picked have got the same attributes that have meant our team. So you've got Alex Kentelsez, who plays for Almeria in the Spanish second division. He's 20-year-old. You've got Nuno Mendes, who plays for Porto. Now, this player is highly recommended and is currently getting scouted by very, very well clubs. And then you've got Josh Vagnoma, who plays for Hamburg in the German Bundesliga 2. He's 19-year-old, and what I like about this guy the most is this guy is very level-headed, and he's very experienced at 19 years old, years old, and he's versatile as well. He can play right-back, centre-back, and do it at a very good level. So, yeah, they're my um, 
four players for the left back for you guys to go and um, have a look at, should I say. Excellent. Did you do any other positions? Yeah, I did it. Because one player I kind of feel we've never, ever really replaced is Alan. I think Mm -hmm. his composure on the ball in breaking down play was crucial for us, massive. I know we've got that in Demi, but when Demi's out, we don't have anybody to come in. So I've picked a few players. We've got Ryan Gravenbach. A lot of people might have heard of him. He is probably the best 18-year-old I'm currently witnessing at the moment. He plays for Ajax in the Dutch league. And this boy is going to be a star. He's incredible. But not only can he play in that register role, he can play as an attacking midfielder. He can play just solely as a centre midfielder, if you like. He's got all the attributes that a midfielder needs. And that's similar with Luis Florentina who plays for Benfica. And another boy I've been looking at is Michael Quirsan. He's on loan at the moment, but he's a Bayern Munich player. And the reason why I feel like Bayern Munich would let him go is because they've got a lot of upcoming centre midfielders and they've let him go out on loan from to get that first-team experience to try and sell him. So if we could get in the market for one of these players, it would definitely, definitely be boost our future stylistic player, should I say. Another two roles I looked at was an attacking centre midfielder, and I'm going to give you four players. The key player is Papi Matasar, and he plays for Nets in French Ligue 1. But he's another player like Ryan Gravenbach that can play anywhere in the midfield. If you want him to play as a holding midfielder, he's very capable of doing that. You want him to play as an attacking midfielder, he's capable of doing that as well. But the next three are more attacking midfielders. And one plays for Valencia in Spain, and his name is Kanging Lee. Now, this boy on the ball just creates chances for fun. And I feel like we're missing that. Kind of like that Rodrigo DePaul kind of player. Um, so he's really good. Hans Wolf, who plays for Mochen Gladbach in the Bundesliga. 21-year-old. He's experienced. He's scoring goals. He's creating chances. He's definitely a star for the future. And then one more that plays for Lorient in the French League. And that's Enzo Lefi, who's, again, very creative, good on the ball, pleasing on the eye, very, very skillful. And I just feel like with their work rate, our fans would appreciate them so, so much. Um, And then the final position I looked at was possibly centre-back. I know we don't need one at the minute, but our centre-backs are pretty old if you look at the average age. So I've looked at a few. Tapsoba would be my first choice. Pays for by Leverkusen. Now, I know it'll be difficult to prize them away from Leverkusen, but if they keep dropping the way they are, they're not going to be in um, in any European football. So he's going to want to play European football. And if we go in for him, anything is possible. And then you've got Thomas Basilia from the French League again. He plays for Nantes. Bruno Fuchs, who plays for Moscow. But I also want to say another boy called Bafid Diakiti, I think it's pronounced. Plays for Toulouse in the French League. And what I like about this boy really reminds us of Koulibaly. 
just the way he's composed on the ball, the way he brings the ball out. He always seems to find the right pass. His positioning's good. So, yeah, he just really reminds us of Koulibaly. And I think if we snapped up one of these players now, we could really integrate them into the squad now. So, yeah, I don't know what you feel on that, but there's a few players. I know it's a lot of take in. You're probably thinking, what's this guy talking about? But these <laughs> guys are one of the watch for the future, and I really believe in them. And if we could snap up any of them, it would put us in good vein and then for the future. Well, I think that was phenomenal. I, I admit, I don't recognize too many of those names. So maybe what I'll do, because I imagine some of our listeners will be in my shoes, when we post this episode on Twitter, we can get you to, to give us the list of guys that you've just analyzed. And, and that way, the listeners can go look into them themselves and, and see what you're talking about. But I really, really enjoyed that. I'm, I'm so glad I asked you uh, to do that little homework assignment. And for anyone who doesn't already follow Antonio on Twitter, at Antonio Mango for on Twitter, uh, you know, he does tweet a lot about different leagues, about different matches, and of course, about Napoli. So, Antonio, we're going to wrap it up there. I want to thank you so much for coming on, for having the courage to tell your story, for breaking down the game, and then for doing this little homework assignment for me, which I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, any final thoughts before I let you go? Yeah, I just want to say, uh, honestly, I really, really appreciate you inviting us on, accepting us, and one thing I want to say is this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. So I'm sorry if I come across a bit robotic or what have you, but hopefully we'll be able to do it again and it will be more natural. But yeah, on the back of them um, transferring possible signings, I would love to reply with those players. And I might even throw in a few more that I didn't get to mention. Just because I enjoy looking up youth talent looking up young players so it might be something that others enjoy as well um, so yeah I'll definitely put that in the, in the chat and yeah I really enjoyed this podcast so thank you very much No it's my pleasure and you, you were fantastic I think for someone who hasn't done it before you so we'll be back with our regular episode in the next couple of days we'll preview the bologna match and we'll recap the action from the last round but until then i'm joe fischetti forza napoli sempre sports social podcast network Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.